0: Welcome back to School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined by Chris and Adam once again. And, guys, another win for Everton here this past week. Uh, 1-0 over Cardiff. We're going to get into a little bit of that right now as well as some other things. And I I think the first thing we need to start with is is the defense in this one. Superb again, a clean sheet, uh, which is always good from our standards. And, and, you know, what's great about it uh, is that it was Mina and Keane uh, again, this time, and, and it really, I think, and, and we'll continue, uh, I'll ask you guys about this too, but just to start off, I think it really speaks a lot about the depth we have at that position now, um, from uh, considering what we had last year and in years prior. And, and Adam, we'll start with you on this one to bring in. Is this the w- way forward, uh, with Mina and, and Keen? Uh, do we see any, uh, switching it up at the center back position or do you think we just stick with it? Uh, because it seems like all three of these center backs can work pretty well together.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think Mina and Keane is probably, uh, the way to go going forward until one of those guys gives Marco Silva a reason to, to bench them. You know, as I think we've, we've talked about in the past, it's, it's really, uh, unfair almost to, to Kurt Zuma, who hardly set a foot wrong, uh, since he, he jumped into the starting lineup, but, the reality is that I, I don't think Everton will suspect that that he's going to remain an Everton player into next season, and Keane and Mina, especially given their age, are, are kind of the, the center-back pairing of the future, so you're not going to waver from that if it's getting you results. Um, I think... Uh, again, as as we saw, maybe a, a little bit against Cardiff. Um, Mina is really good with the ball in his feet, especially for a guy who's as big as he is, uh, which is nice and can, can kind of, uh, help in these matches where we know we're going up against teams that are, are bunkering deep. Set piece defending still, you know, uh, we could have easily conceded. At the end on that late corner kick, uh, and been having a very different conversation today. So things to talk about there, but absolutely from open play, the defense has been good. And I think it's Keenan Mina all the way right now
2: yeah i agree with that and it should be noted though that the uh the chance you're talking about that i think callum patterson headed over the bar or something like that for cardiff was in the 88th minute and that that was for all intents and purposes the only thing cardiff created the entire match
1: oh yeah absolutely it 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 was uh the the issue of course being that all it takes is you know the one (laughs) and certainly (laughs) you know we we Seen that, or uh, you know, earlier this season in matches against teams like Cardiff, where it hasn't necessarily come to bite us because uh, we've we've had the goals to to overcome it, but just conceding that one chance has been one chance too many sometimes when you're giving up the quality of opportunity right. that, that we have.
2: And in a vacuum, it's really not that big of a deal that you concede that chance, um, especially given that they played so well during the previous 87 minutes the problem is that everton left the door open to to allow that chance to have the potential to bite them and that was not a defensive issue it was more of an attacking issue oh yeah absolutely
0: yeah and and the thing um i think with mina and and keen uh like you guys said um i, I agree with you adam in the sense that you know this is a situation where mina and keen are the guys we have permanently here. Zuma, we're not sure what is going to happen with him after the season. And it's good to get these two on the same page. Also, there was often times, um, speaking on the point of Mina with the ball at his, at his feet. I mean, there was often times where he was making runs up the center of that field, passing balls up and staying up there, uh, you know, in case a cross came in, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, I mean, he is such a big target. He is, I mean, you saw him on some of those, some of those plays where he's just towering over people. Um, and that's a nice thing to have on your side of the ball uh, for <laughs> sure.
2: It is. And there was one moment, I forget exactly what it was, but Mina carried the ball. Pretty much all the way into the attacking third. It was very David Louise esque. And he, he, I think he passed it off to, I believe, Bernard and then ke- kept running into the penalty area. It, the guy looked just utterly depressed that he didn't get the, the return ball back yeah. into his forehead. It really cracked me up because he, he was like, I'm going to play center forward for 30 seconds. This is great.
1: And everyone he? could use a little more David Louisian entertainment <laughs> in their lives, I always say. And boy, was that a David Louiseian moment.
0: Yeah. And I mean, he stayed, like he stayed up there. There was like, cause I know exactly what you're talking about, Chris. He stood up there and like was standing up there with the strikers to the point where I was like, wait, is yeah, that to still back. up there? No, dude. Like, you know, like <laughs> I don't want to have a counter attack here. Uh, and I thought it was just pretty crazy, but he, he does play well with the ball at his feet. Defense looked great, which is a good sign even against teams. Like, um, like Cardiff who who may not, you know, they have two goals on the road all year. Um, but teams that, you know, hey, I mean, teams that we probably last year probably aren't looking at in the same situation in terms of our center back situation. Um, uh, but from defense to offense, uh, our attack did struggle, uh, to create some, some chances until Lookman and, and Tosun came on. What do you guys think the issue is here? And Chris will go to you on this one first. What's the issue with the attack? You know, we we it has been struggling. I mean, especially against a team like Cardiff. Um, you know, we should be able to create chances despite them having that low block there. Um and, and we just weren't able to until we made some substitutions.
2: Yeah, so one of the things that we saw yesterday was a lot of attacking moves either being initiated by or ending with um either Andre Gomez or Idrisa Gay, which you know, God love them. That's not really their forte. You want those types of things to end with, with a Walcott or a Sigurdsson or a Richarlison. And I think the reason that, that this happened in large part, and Adam wrote about this today, which I encourage you to check out on the site, but Richarlison is not a sh- Tendency to drift left and leave the the center of the pitch unoccupied. Well, when that happens, Gilfie Sigurdsson has to take it upon himself to to move further up and be in position to to receive final balls. And so you're left with Gomes and Ghana kind of looking around for something to do. And that'll either end on a long range shot or just pushing it back out to the wing. And you kind of want somebody in the middle who can hold the ball up, as a simplistic term, but you think about how a defensive midfielder recycles play. There's a lot to be said for a striker who can do that as well, just taking the pass off of your midfielders, letting them get into better position, letting your wingers do the same thing, and then giving it back to them and making it run. And right now, we've got nobody doing that.
1: And I, I think that, that one of the most interesting things that I didn't even realize in, in real time until I went back to to write that, that post today um, is that The the pass that leads to the the Everton goal ultimately, um, as you you may recall, a a pass kind of gets pinged into an Everton player with his back to goal, you know, some forty yards from goal, and it just kind of gets bounced off a defender and it goes out out to Walcott and he's he's clean through. That player is is Richarlison, and it's it's indicative of of what you can have happen when your striker is making himself more available to the players in the midfield and to the players out wide rather than just kind of drifting and and looking to get himself on the ball and into space rather than linking up the play. Uh, It's funny because it was basically the only time all match that he made that kind of play to to drop and and try to get another player into space, and he completely botches it. The ball goes (laughs) through his feet, and he doesn't friggin' do anything. But it bounces He's, off a carded player, and all of a sudden theo's through, so you see the danger that that kind of situation can create, even if you're only putting your body in the right position and then letting the ball bounce off of you so it, it, it's we need to have a, another discussion I think about um if for Charlison is the answer it's striker.
2: Uh, he was very fortunate that Theo Walcott is extremely fast. Um, otherwise, that would have come to nothing. Um, but no, and it, as you kind of mentioned, Gino, you know, at the top of this question, it's interesting that as soon as Chink Tosin comes on the field, it, things just completely change. And, it, you know, to the naked eye, it's, it's not, it probably doesn't look like he's changing the game all that much, but it really changes how Everton can play and Gilfie Sigurdsson plays. And he made a pass, and somebody make a jog in my memory here, but I think it was to he kind of picks the ball up in the left channel, in between the center backs, and pings it out to to Seamus Coleman, or it was either Coleman, whoever was playing right wing at the time, just on an absolute rope that took out four or five defenders, and that's the type of thing that Richarlison simply can't do.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I, I do recall that play, and I I think at that point. It might have even been, it might have been Lookman who was out, out on the right at that point. But yeah, that's, you know, that's exactly the sort of, of play that, that I'm thinking about. And that like we saw on the goal, you know, Richarlison, he, you don't see him in that space very often. And when you do, he's, he's, it's just not in his skill set. He's not a good passer of the ball. He is strong for his size. He is strong for a winger. He is not you know, center striker strong in the traditional sense. Um and that's when you play for Brazil and, you know, everybody's overlapping and interchanging and your center midfield's now out on the left wing because your central striker went out wherever, you know, you can get away with being the sort of quote unquote striker that Richardlesson is and, and that's all well and good and, you know, all yeah. of luck to him playing with Brazil. But Brazil, Everton is not Brazil. Oh, well, I, I don't think I need to say that, but just to be clear. When, when you're,
2: when you're, when your central midfielder who's making a late run into the box is Philippe Coutinho instead of Ghana, it's a little bit of a difference.
1: Yeah. And that's, you know, so, so, and it's not even to say that Richarlison doesn't have his uses or his moments where he can be, you know, a, a legitimate striking option. But week to week, especially in a match like this where we know it's going to be hard work to break down a low block, you you just need somebody who you know you can ping the ball into their feet and they're going to find a pass or they're going to hold it up for long enough for you to find another option and work the ball around and not kind of force everything even more out wide than it already is too much at times for Everton. But because he drifts then an already wide heavy attack just becomes uh, almost exclusively out wide, and and it just doesn't work.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and we've talked about this in podcasts prior, where we've talked about the things that Tosun does that like you don't notice things he does off mm-hmm. the ball, and I think that those things we're starting to see how important those things are with Richarlison up front. And again, there's no. Dink on on Richarlison. He's a great player. He's just not a striker. It's not where he's meant to play. Uh, but Tosun, just with his ability to move and create um, a problem, just from a, a standpoint where defenders are worried about him and worried about what he can do, whether it's pinging the ball off of him or just making movements that uh, will, you know, distract defenders and create the ability for other players to make runs into. That's something that. Is so important and we're starting to notice that now. And I, I think that leads us into another important question about how things start to line up here as we move forward and, and we've spoke of Lookman and we keep asking this question, but I think it's, it's an important one to ask once again. This is his time to start now, right? I mean, he has shown us everything I think he can show us and prove to us that he can be an option that's as good as if not better than Theo Walcott at least on the right or or even Bernard on the left if we want to stick with Richarlison um up top. So I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Adam will go to you first. Is it time to finally put Lookman up top? And if so, who are we replacing him
1: with with? Um I think that the answer oh. is is probably yes. Um but I, I think especially after watching the way that uh this match went um, it's yes, but, but for a, a really a pretty specific reason. And I, I think as we've talked about that, that we've got some doubts about Richarlison as the out and out striker. Um, and if you want to pull him from that role and put him back out on the left, you know, that's, that's fine. And that makes sense. But I think what we're seeing pretty clearly among the top four guys that we have as, as wingers, even though Richarlison hasn't been Playing out there, we think of him as a winger. Richarlison and Theo Walcott are guys, are goal scoring wingers. They're guys who are going to find, find themselves getting onto balls, going into the box and, and creating chances by, by getting shots off, not necessarily creating for others. And Bernard and Lookman are much more creative, um, presences in terms of that their ability to, especially Lookman, uh, dribble, uh, be able to beat guys 1v1 or 1v2, as we've seen in a couple of instances, um, is a different ability than you get with, with Theo and Richarlison. And if you're going to put Richarlison back on the left and go with a true striker up top, then you've, you've got to have another creative player out in that, that wide right spot. And it's not Theo, I don't think. So if you're going to put Richarlison out left, I think Lookman's got to be the answer outright, not just because he has earned it based on his play coming off the bench, but because you need another creative outlet in addition to Sigurdsson if you know that your striker and your left winger are going to be primarily goal-scoring threats as opposed to creative ones.
2: That was going to be my point was just that – it, it, Lookman's inclusion takes so much pressure off of Sigurdsson in terms of uh, who the team looks to 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 make that final pass. I mean, Lookman did more in fifteen twenty minutes on Saturday than Bernard did the entire match, and I and I say that as somebody who likes Bernard and who also likes Theo Walcott. It's just the the proof is in the pudding here. I I don't know what else he's got to do to. And it's not really a, it's a good problem to have. I don't have really a complaint with Marco Silva yet and how he's handled this. I mean, Lookman has slowly ramped up as the season has gone on into pretty definitively being the first substitute off the bench, um lately and, and I think deservedly so. But the, the, th- To Adam's point, I I don't think that you really want to be starting your wingers as Richarlison and Walcott just because they're too similar. So Silva has the right idea with Bernard and Walcott on on the field from the start. I just think he might have the wrong players. I would also be interested to see Richarlison and Lookman as the wingers rather than Walcott and Bernard.
1: And I think that we – this is obviously something that we're talking about kind of in theory right now as opposed to against a specific opponent. Uh Our next opponent, as we know, is Liverpool, where I don't necessarily know if I want to see Lookman starting because you do expect to be doing a lot of defending. So I think w- what we've kind of learned with all four of these guys to this point is that it is going to be opponent-dependent uh, opponent, uh dependent and situational. Um, as to what the best option is uh, against Liverpool next week. I don't know if Lookman is that, but after that, we're home against Newcastle and home against Watford. Those are the sort of matches where you know you're going to want somebody who can do the things creatively that Lookman can do from the off.
2: Agreed. (laughs) Uh, We'll talk about this more in a little bit, but against Liverpool, uh, can I have Dom, Richarlison, and Theo, please?
1: Uh, let's just uh let's just go with all the defenders. Let's start John Joe Kenny, Yerry Mina, Seamus <laughs> Coleman, Leighton Baines. No, no well maybe, but we can talk more about that later.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll get. Where's, we'll get in where's there. Aaron Lennon?
1: Oh, I, oh <laughs> I miss Aaron Lennon. Why you gotta do me like that?
0: <laughs> Especially in a situation like this when we need a nice uh, defensive winger against what we're gonna see on Saturday. But we will get or uh, Sunday. We'll get into that a little bit more later, but on the Lookman thing, I think you know, and and I was watching if you, if you guys will, will go off point here a little bit and I know a, a few a few of us were the Chelsea uh Tottenham game that played at 12:30 on Saturday, uh 12:30 Eastern time that is. His son had that goal that Lookman almost created himself uh during our game just dice in, in between defenders with the ball at his feet and, and finding an opening. Um And that's like the type of player that I think Lookman, it, like, like we've said, that he can be. He can be the type of player that takes on uh defenders and really uh challenges them, which is something that could really help this, as opposed to Theo, who has the speed, um just doesn't have really that ability that we've seen to be able to slice and dice defenders and create openings for himself like Lookman has shown us he can. And I think that's going to be something that's going to be really important um for us going forward.
2: Yeah, um, and I do just want to mention quickly that Lookman chance that you're talking about, it was electrifying. And we should not dock him any points for not scoring there because he did absolutely everything right. That was an utterly ridiculous save by Neil Etheridge, who yeah. – I believe is from the Philippines, but I I do also think that his name sounds like a 1970s country music star. I mean, <laughs> who, anyway.
0: <laughs> but also, yes, yeah, that that Go that's on. goal
1: that you just compared it to Rip Jorginho, by the way, I think he has to retire now because uh, song they all him like he was literally standing still. Uh, he I should have. I'm, he should quit now. Is all I'm saying.
2: Well, we've uh, seen yeah. what happens when Jorginho sweeps the leg when he's oh, beaten. Uh,
1: that is true. That is maybe true. not you know, a good idea for him either. Son is still on my fantasy team, so I guess I should be happy that he didn't commit a tactical foul there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I, I tweeted out. Uh, yes, I tweeted out on Saturday that uh, the the souls of every Chelsea defender are now owned by Son after that one because that was just. Unbelievable, but getting off topic a little bit, let's get back towards everton here um and we'll talk a little bit about one of I think i my personal uh man of the match, and I think a lot of people's was Andre Gomish, you know he's getting better and better, uh you know he's shown us some great passing ability and just really a calmness about him under pressure. Uh, at the back, finding his way out of, uh, pressure and, and, and getting it to the forwards and, and the wingers. Um, you know, where does he rank on the list of Everton's most important players? And I know we've had some comments already, uh, this we, uh, t- today, a uh, day of recording on Sunday about the transfer plans moving forward with him. But where does he rank right now on Everton's most important players list? And Chris, let's go to you on this one first.
2: Pretty high. I mean, higher than I think I would have ever expected this soon into the, to the season. Um, I'm trying to think if I want to put a number on it, but you look at maybe Jordan Pickford and Richarlison and Gilfie Sigurdsson. Just with the way that Silva wants to play. I mean, I think Gomes is right there in that second tier with probably James Coleman and Andrisa Gay, right? I, I, he's bordering on untroppable at this point just just bordering
1: um I mean <laughs>
2: I this I I say bordering because I, I have so much respect for Morgan Schneiderland and I just hate to see him on the outs like he is but Gomez has been absolutely incredible
1: I mean since since he's come into the lineup it's been the 2-0 victory over Palace um, a, a tight match at Old Trafford that ultimately, you know, we lost, but a decent performance, 3-1 against Brighton, the 0-0 against Chelsea, and then beating Cardiff uh, this weekend. Uh, and I, mean, I think
2: he, he had a shout for man of the match in pretty much all of those, maybe excepting the United game.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, you know, the... For for guys in in that kind of role, you know, in a central midfield role that isn't necessarily always as flashy as it it was in the the Cardiff match, you know, uh, sometimes looking at at the results and and just the general overall team performance is a good way to get a sense of what he's doing because it doesn't always jump out to the naked eye. Um, I mean he there's I I, I like Morgan Schneiderlin. I always have. I was a Schneiderlin. You know, uh, supporter even through last year and I know there weren't necessarily a whole lot of us. Um, and I still like Chris does. I like Morgan Schneiderlin, but what, what Gomes brings is, is just another completely another level. Um, and I don't really know what happens to this Everton team if he goes away at this point because they have very clearly, um, quickly become accustomed to this high-pressing, high-energy uh, style of playing that is fitting for, obviously, for Ghana, but for Andre as well. But in addition to the energy that, that he brings, he can, you know, pass, uh, which Ghana can't. Uh, And much like it is very difficult to find a number 10 with the creative ability and overall defensive work rate that Gilfie Sigurdsson has, finding a deep-lying midfielder who's got the combination of work rate and pace and ability on the ball and passing that Andre Gomes has when you're a team like Everton, it's pretty tough. Uh And I think it's, you know, it's pretty evident because before he came into the lineup, we talked so much about that we thought he could be able to bring something that nobody else has. And sure enough, after, you know, five games, here we are having this discussion about exactly that, that he's doing something that there just isn't anybody else on this squad that can do.
2: Yeah, and I think Marcel Brands agrees with you. There was a quote from Brands in a Spanish newspaper either yesterday or this morning where he said, um, basically we want Gomez permanently in, in no uncertain terms. It's simply up to him and Barcelona, but there's no question on our end whether or not we want to make this happen. And one of the interesting things to me as Everton have snuck into the top six here is that you look at that midfield pairing of Gomez and Ghana and that's pretty unequivocally for me anyway, as a biased, as a biased opinion, better than anything that Arsenal have been rolling out in the midfield or, or Spurs, you know, I'd, I think I'd take Ghanai Gomes over Lucas Torreira and Granit Xhaka. I I'd, I'd definitely take them over Eric Dyer and Moussa Sissoko.
1: Yeah. And I mean, Spurs is obviously the, <laughs> there's a couple of different things that play with, with Spurs just because, uh, of the injuries that they've had. I don't necessarily know once they're at a hundred percent what their preferred midfield looks like. And I don't think Poch does either, but that's something that we can talk about later. But yeah, you know, on the whole, it's, it's definitely, it's well above, um, anything that any other team below Everton in the table right now, save United, United below Everton in the table. Let's just take a moment to appreciate that. Um, mm-hmm. it can, can put out in midfield, and if you're going to look at midfield threes and then throw Sigurdsson into that as well, then it's far and away the, the best of any uh, non traditional, non six team. Uh, so that's something that nobody else can, can really say, and we just have to now start looking up Barcelona's roster and figuring out, okay, are there enough? midfielders at Barcelona right now that they will look at his performance for us so far this season and go, nope, we still don't need that.
2: Which Yeah, I, if you almost wish Andre would slow down a little bit so Barcelona don't watch the tape and think, hey, we need this guy back.
1: Because, you know, you you look at, at Barcelona's roster, I've, I've you know, uh, Arturo Vidal's 31, uh, Sergio Busquets is 30, Ivan Rakitic is 30, and then you're starting to drift into guys who are equally, um, as unproven at that level as, as Gomes is, you know, guys like Arthur and, um, and Rafinha, who clearly, like Andre, you know, have promise, but haven't necessarily proven it at, at that level consistently. And you just think at the start of the season, I thought there was no way that Barcelona in any circumstances, would get to the end of this season and say, nope, you can't keep Andre Gomes, we're taking him back because we think he has a future with us. And now,
2: uh, I'm not so sure. Uh, Rafinha also picked up a long-term injury this weekend, uh, so that makes me a little queasy.
0: Uh, well, yeah, and and Silva came out and said that, you know, we have to stop talking about him so much and talking about keeping him <laughs> each, each week because we don't want, we want Barcelona to forget about him a little bit. And I think that's, you know, what we're trying to make here is that Marco you know, knows. He's, yeah. He's been, he's been very, very good for us. I mean, uh, and, and it's a lot of what you don't notice, you know, the calmness on the ball. I mean, there was a few times, uh, yesterday where, um, I think a bunch of players, who we have on this team that would play that position like a Schneider or Davies would have kind of broken down under some of the pressure that was being put on him. But Gomes was just calm, cool and collected passing the ball out. Even when he got to pass the ball in tight spaces, he was able to get out of that and find an open, um a- an open player to pass the ball to. And he's just been uh just, just something that, you know, we are been, we've been pleasantly surprised by because he's been so good and, you know even some of the crosses he was putting in yesterday um were just tantalizing crosses that you just somebody should have been there to get on the end of and and you know he's just really showing the type of player that he can be which hey that's that's great for us um
2: you know, yeah. moving forward. There was one play where Gomez made a really nice run with the ball down kind of the left hand side and, and whipped it into, t- it ended up on the foot of Theo Walcott and it just kind of bounced off Theo's foot and out of bounds. And Andre just looked up at him like, why was that not Lionel Messi? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, and, and I think that every, all of that, that stuff that, that we saw from him yesterday is, is important um, because of uh, sometimes our inability to break down these deep-lying teams, that to have a guy in the center of midfield who can get forward and be a threat off the dribble and be able to complete a relatively difficult pass just gives another dimension um, when we're trying to break down teams like that, but then you also look at the Chelsea match where it's a completely different role that's being asked of him. It's a lot more defensive. It's a lot more about managing possession and keeping yourself out of dangerous situations rather than creating offensive dangerous situations. And he did very well in that too. And I think because of Everton's kind of uniquely positioned spot here where they are pretty clearly more talented than, you know, 13, 12 or 13 teams in the Premier League and pretty clearly less talented than five, six or seven, um, others. You need a guy that's going to be able to do both of those things. And like I said earlier, there just aren't that many guys who have both of those skill sets who are going to be happy at this moment in time playing for Everton. So. Even if, you know, I hope that we can keep him long-term 100%, but even if we can't, his ability is without a doubt something that could be the difference between this team finishing 7th or 8th this year and this team finishing 5th or 6th this year, which could be a determining factor in being able to recruit an Andre Gomes-like player next year, even if we can't keep him personally.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. And obviously we have so much time. So we're all hoping that he just continues to put that up so that we can get into that position to, like you said, recruit a player if we can't keep him. Um, and, and you know, things are looking well and you know, he's been playing really well, but I, in the end, yesterday wasn't pretty, but it was, and it was, it wasn't what we were expecting of the performance, but we got the win. We got the three points. And, and Chris will go to you on this one first. How satisfied were you with this performance?
2: I mean, like you said, it was, it was kind of ugly for a long time, but in the end, I think I was quite satisfied. And just for, for the simple reason that if you took this exact performance from both teams from Everton and Cardiff and put it in last season with Sam Allardyce or David Unsworth, Everton don't win this game. And. Beating the teams that they should beat and that they need to beat is one of the biggest changes that we've seen this year under marco silva and the the team continuing to do that is why i'm I'm pretty happy with yesterday, even though it it could have been a little bit easier,
1: yeah, and I think that uh we've we've gotten the results um in these kind of matches um most of the season, obviously, we had the home draw against Huddersfield, the home loss um, against West Ham. But really, since then, you know, the, the results in these type of matches uh have, have come. Um, it hasn't always been pretty. Um, obviously, the Crystal Palace match, we needed, you know, we won 2-0. And you look at that scoreline and you think, oh, you know, everything was fine. Well, we needed 84th and 87th minute goals to to get out of that one. Uh, to beat 10-man Leicester. We needed Gilfie Sigurdsson to just score an absolute worldie to beat Cardiff today, or this week, I should say. Um, we needed a little bit of luck on the bounce to to get Theo through and to get a rebound in, into Gilfie's feet. So there is absolutely a lot of room for improvement in these kind of matches so that more of them can look like the Brighton match did and the Fulham match did. But at the end of the day... It's a lot. It's a lot easier to work on those things when you know you still got three points in the bag. And at the end of this season, you know, if we finish in fifth or sixth or what have you, you know, by one or two points, uh, we aren't going to give a damn that it was ugly to beat Cardiff at home in November. All we're going to care about is we got those three points.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, the thing is. Good teams win those games and, and you can't say that it, like Chris said about last year's team, they probably would not have ended up winning this game. Um, and and it probably would have all broke down, but you know, Everton have improved and, and it's really showing. And, and, you know, obviously, uh, there are all, you know, other facts that play into this, but I mean, you just compare it to last year through 13 games, we had 12 points compared to the 22 we had this year. Yes, we did have that touch, tough stretch where we had city, Chelsea United all on the road and then Tottenham at home all in four straight games but other than that you know Bournemouth at home Burnley at home um, you know Brighton on the road which still should be a win Watford at home Palace on the road and Southampton on the road teams we should have beaten and should have gotten points out of that we have this year Southampton at home we had we we won that game Bournemouth on the road unfortunately uh, you know obviously the the draw despite going up um, in that game but Hudders uh, and then at Huddersfield at home tying that, but Brighton at home we won, Cardiff at home we won, Crystal Palace at home we won, Leicester on the road we won. So you know, even just comparing it to last year, while we did have that tough stretch, there still is a lot of improvement, and you can see that just in the amount of points that we've gotten this year. Considering we still have played three of the top uh six on the, on the road, and and things are are improving, and and it's good to see that. It's just now we have to keep improving on that and put in better performances on a more consistent basis to see what we saw from like you said Brighton and Fulham um against those teams that we should beat and should break down. But like I mentioned ever, ever not like we've mentioned Everton are now in 6th place for the time being. Um but it's should the question becomes is this a sustainable thing? Is this something that we can sustain um for weeks to come? Um, and and until uh, the end of the year. And let's start out with the teams we're most worried about. And Adam, we'll go to you in this one first. Right now, at the position of the table that we're at right now with the play, with the teams uh, in, where they are, which team or teams are you most worried about catching us as the season goes on?
1: Well, I, I think, you know, the, the obvious answer is, is United. Um, not that they've played well because they haven't they have played very very poorly for long stretches if we're being honest but obviously uh, the amount of talent at United is just so far and away better than you know Bournemouth and Watford and Leicester and Wolves and the the other teams kind of composing that that middle middle third of the table um so I, I think that for now, most of the discussion probably ends up centering on can we consistently be getting results better than Manchester United and I think that the other question that that I have in terms of when we're talking about the top top six race here is also are there teams above us that right now that are are catchable you know and I think that the the way that the the top Five are above us now. Obviously, City is the best, and obviously Liverpool uh, is is next best. And I think that those two are pretty, you know, pretty obvious. Tottenham and Chelsea are in some order three and four. Obviously, Tottenham got the big win against Chelsea this weekend, and, and then there's Arsenal, kind of just hanging around at five. And I, I think Arsenal, despite that they are only a point back of Chelsea. You look at the talent at Arsenal and the underlying numbers at Arsenal, and that that is a team that could well be in for a serious regression sooner rather than later because they are just converting chances at a ludicrous rate. And you look at the midfield, as Chris talked about before, and the defense on that team, and it's not really very uh, good, <laughs> to, to put it nicely. Um, and obviously, you know, when you've got Lacazette and Obama Yang and Ozil, uh, that team's going to score goals. But I, as things stand right now, I obviously would have a very close eye on Manchester United in the rear view. But I also want to be gunning for Arsenal a little bit, no pun intended, uh, because <laughs> I, I think, I think that's a team that's gettable in the long run and obviously all Everton can do is take care of Everton but it's also nice to be able to not only say yeah we you know we could be a top 6 team we could be a top 5 team i think realistically
2: yeah i mean it's it's shaping up the way that the season is unfolding to to really be a race there for the kind of those Obviously not one through two, but three, four, five, six, seven is going to be really interesting and probably end up being the, the storyline of the season. And I agree with Adam that Manchester United, just simply because of their talent are the, the team to watch. I also think that Leicester City still concern me a little bit just because of they can get really hot. And I think that there's an emotional aspect to their season this year where they they have the opportunity to kind of galvanize behind the tragedy that they underwent a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the, the more, kind of the more intriguing thing to me is the teams behind us right now in terms of, uh, other than United, you have, um, Bournemouth, Watford and, and Wolves. And I don't think any of those three teams are actually any good. I think that they've benefited from easier schedules and, and getting pretty hot you kind of look at this weekend where Bournemouth lost, Watford lost and Wolves lost all at the same time and think that's, uh, that's probably a little bit more indicative of how actually good they are. And I think that benefits us.
1: Yeah. And it's, like I said, to me, uh, I don't really even process Bournemouth Watford. Uh, I I see your point on Lester, but I, I just don't think that they've got enough in the tank this year. Um, and wolves, if, if we are in a situation where we are genuinely talking about whether, you know, in two or three months, whether or not we can be better than Bournemouth or Watford or Lester or wolves, uh, uh, United will have caught us. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, that's... You know, it's, it's really probably the bottom line because I think United, again, there's just too much attacking talent there for them not to just continue to pull out results uh In spite of themselves and in spite of their manager, because they've got, you know, Paul Pogba and Anthony Martial and Romelu Lukaku and Marcus Rashford and so on and and so forth. Obviously, the issue for United is that um their center back managed situation. by Jose Mourinho? Well, uh, yes, I mean,
2: <laughs> those two things
1: really do go hand in hand, though. The center back situation and the fact that they are managed by Jose Mourinho because... Each of the last two off seasons before this one, Jose got his pick of, you know, any center back basically in the world that he wanted because they're united and they've got that kind of pull. And And he took got Eric Bailly and he got Victor Lindelof and now he doesn't like either of them. So he's going to go pout in the corner because nobody bought him a shiny new center back this year. Can't imagine why it can't be because your record of choosing center backs, Jose, is. Maybe just not that great. Uh, well, and um, the
2: good the good one that he did by Eric Bi he doesn't use, so it's yeah. like. What? <laughs> but,
1: so there are so many issues at United that, it, but let me before I say anything more about United and uh and Mourinho that even with the issues that they have at the back, you know, even when you consider that they're playing, you know, Antonio Valencia and Ashley Young and folks like that at at fullback and that they're rolling out guys like Chris Smalling at center back with David De Gea in goal, Paul Pogba in the midfield and the attacking power that they have, they should easily be able to finish sixth, easily. Uh, You know, and that's not a slight on Everton or anybody else that's going to be in this race, but that, that team should just be able to score too many goals. And to me, the longer that United lets Jose Mourinho continue to just run that team into the ground, the, Better a chance Everton has, ultimately, of finishing ahead of them. I think if they sacked Jose tomorrow and brought in the most vanilla, plain, uninteresting manager you've ever met in your life who just rolled the ball out and said, you guys go score goals and just try to keep enough out of our net to keep us in it.
2: So I think- David Moyes? No. Oh, wait, there, he did that.
1: No, no, <laughs> boo.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean.
2: Um, uh, Zanatif Zidane, I think is the individual yes. you're looking for. Yes, there it is. That's, yes,
1: that's, he's the guy. If they hire, if they sacked Mourinho today and hired Zidane tomorrow, I think they'd probably, they, I think they'd finish ahead of us I think they'd probably finish ahead of Arsenal too, but they won't do that. So, uh, here we sit with a chance to, you know, pip him for sixth. Yeah, I,
0: I think. You guys are right on point there. I think right now, the way the situation stands, I think that Arsenal is certainly catchable, catchable. And I think that Man United, while the team that most worries all of us, um, is also a team that we can stay above. Um, but I, I you know, I think it all depends on how things play out because you, you have to feel like they're probably going to get on another bad run and you don't know how long Mourinho is going to last there. And if first, and if they do make a change, you feel like that could be it and they could just go off and running and finish, um, finish pretty high compared to the performances that they're putting out now. Um, and we'll all forget about this time where we were saying that we could finish ahead of United because they've been playing so well. Um, but I, I think that, you know, Everton, I, I think they have the ability to now compete and get into this top six. And the question becomes now, Do we need to beat those top six, the money top six, the the guys that are always there, um, the guys we always have trouble on the road against? Do we need to beat those guys to stay in sixth, um, or is there another way around it?
2: I mean, it would be nice, but I, I think that as long as we keep beating the teams like Cardiff and Brighton and Fulham like we're supposed to, uh, six is still going to be there for the taking. I mean, you you look at it now, and we're in six with having lost to both United and Arsenal, and um Arsenal, and uh, we drew Chelsea at Stanford Bridge, which was nice. But it's not like we we got to six now with with beating those teams. And I think that uh, those teams are going to buzz saw through who they buzz saw through, and and that's it is what it is. But as long as as Adam mentioned, Everton take care of Everton, I think it's still going to be open towards the end of the season for us to, to be right there.
1: And, and I think, as, as we've said, unless something really outside the, the realm of the expected uh, occurs in the coming months, it's, it's probably going to be between Everton and United um, for that, that spot, for, for six. And, I mean, United this season has hosted Tottenham and gotten smacked 3-0 has uh coughed up a late lead against Chelsea and uh, with a 2-2 draw and got smacked around by City in the derby before the break. And those are the only three matches so far this season that they've played against, you know, the traditional big six. Um So that's one out of three. And Everton has taken a point from Chelsea, which is exactly what United's done. And we went to st- uh, oh no that that was also at Stanford bridge excuse me so yeah so both united and everton have gone to chelsea to nick a point and that's pretty much all they've been able to do against the the big teams so far um so if if that continues then all you've got to do is continue to take care of business against the mid to lower table teams as we have and and just let united keep self imploding um and and you should in all likelihood, be in a pretty good spot come April.
2: So, speaking of April, in case you guys did not realize, two of Everton's final six matches of this season are both at Goodison Park, and they are against Arsenal and Manchester United.
1: Yeah, and uh, obviously a long way to go yet, but you could most definitely see a world in which uh, those are two pretty big friggin' games. No doubt about it. Yeah, I mean...
2: If, if the trends, if the trends continued, continue as a pace, I mean, we have a little bit of work to do to catch up to Arsenal, but those are going to be six pointers, it feels like.
1: And I think that the, the one thing that makes this a little difficult to judge just because we don't have a, a body of work to, to work with yet is that Everton hasn't played a home game uh, against uh, a traditional top six team yet this season. Um, you know, by the end of next week, we'll have gone to Arsenal, Chelsea, United, and Liverpool, um, and not have hosted any of those teams or City, uh, either. And actually, that's going to be the way that it pans out. Our, our first home game against the top six team is December 23rd, and that's the week after, um, we take on Man City at the Etihad. So uh, I, it'll be interesting to me, and, and I really don't know what to expect. But it'll be uh, if if I think if any results against the top six are gonna matter by the end of the season to to stay top six, it's gonna be the home matches because I just don't see Man United as currently constructed being able to put together substantially better away performances against teams like city and Liverpool and Spurs than, than Everton can. And I yeah. think so far that the evidence suggests that.
0: Yeah. And, and you have to also assume, you know, the way things have gone in seasons past, you know, Arsenal and Man United, even in this season have been good for that loss or that draw that they shouldn't have taken against a, a Cardiff or a, or, or Brighton as was this year for Man United, um, or, or, you know, teams that they should be beating pretty handily, uh, and loot and dropping points at home or on the road. Um, so I I, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. No, I was just going to say, and so just to, you know, add to your guys point about us doing our work, we do our work, um, and we get results and, and maybe get one or two results against the top six other than Man United and, um, Arsenal. I, I think we're in pretty good shape. And and I think just one last thing on United that's important to, to
1: just keep in mind is that, you know, they are, as things stand, probably going to go through to the Champions League round of 16. You know, they, they could still yet get caught by Valencia in, in Group H, but you would suspect that they've positioned themselves uh, with a, a match home against uh, Young Boys this week uh, well enough to, to probably go through. Um, if we get into, you know, February and March, and maybe they they pull a a, a surprise on us and, and get into the quarterfinals of the Champions League, it, the difference to Jose Mourinho and Manchester United between finishing sixth and seventh in the Premier League or even fifth and sixth is is nothing compared to the opportunity to make a Champions League run. Um, and, and we could be the beneficiaries of that in the long run if. If they continue to kind of be middling in the league, but do enough to keep moving in the Champions League, we you may see a couple of United lineups coming towards you know that the February March period where they just don't really care because they don't care if they finish sixth seventh or eighth. They just want to win the Champions League, which uh, I mean they can go right ahead and do that if they want if they let us pass them in the table. Fine with me. Don't care. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think a lot of Everton fans would agree with that from our standpoint. Um But, you know, just to finish up this top six talk, uh Chris, we'll go to you on this one first. What do you think the biggest internal flaw Everton have um or has that they need to fix is, uh, you know, to keep their spot in the top six?
2: So it's interesting because there are kind of two angles to take to this question. You can look at it in the short term. And, and think about this season. What, what do we need to do to, to kind of consolidate our place in the top six? And for that, I, I want to go back to what we talked about earlier. And that is stop playing Richarlison at striker. But in terms of the, uh, the longer term outlook and kind of making it a big seven instead of a big six, I think that. The wasted money in the transfer market is is kind of hurtful to a team of Everton's resources. I mean, Farhad Mashiri is is rich, obviously, in ways that n- none of the three of us will likely ever understand. But you look at uh, Sandra Ramirez, Davy Klassen, and, and and those types of guys. They it, those purchases don't seem that damaging when they happen, and and even when we get rid of those players, but they do make an impact on the bottom line and kind of prevent you from finding another Lucas Denier or another Yerry Mina or that kind of thing. And I think that over time that, that portion of the scouting department will get fixed, but uh, there's been some pretty high profile mistakes in the, in the transfer windows recently. And I think that if we can clean that up, I will be well on our way.
1: Uh The only thing that I will add to that, which is an, an excellent point and not something that I, uh, had really really thought of with this question um I'll keep it th- very simple um just clean up set piece defending please um I know that we've seen it you know j- better I guess than it was at the start of the season but you look back at, at Everton's last 3 matches and really uh, the f- three biggest chances it's conceded against Brighton, Chelsea and Cardiff uh the, the two biggest chances excuse me um are the corner kick goal that Lewis Dunk scored against Brighton or uh when we were playing Brighton uh, that that tied that match at one and the Callum Patterson chance late in uh in this weekend's match against Cardiff and that's you know considering that there was a Chelsea match at Chelsea in the middle of that and the two biggest chances we've conceded are friggin' set pieces to big oafs in the box that's it's unconscionable that that we can be so close to making a breakthrough of a substantial manner in the way that we are and still be almost letting uh Callum Patterson from Joe Rawls undo us <laughs> that it's just not acceptable so it's been better than it was at the start of the season but it's still problematic, and we I want to take up a, pretty much once a game.
2: I want to take a quick poll here. Uh, any of you guys ever heard of Joe Rawls? No. Okay. No. I, yep.
1: I will admit to you uh, that I had to actively pull up who put that ball into the box because I had no idea.
2: I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like, at least personally, and I think you guys do too, I follow the Premier League Just about as close as an American possibly can, and I got nothing.
1: Yeah, no, and it's that's that is exactly, and again, if if you're keeping score at home, it was solely March that put in the corner that Lewis Dunk put away when we played Brighton. Um, You know, if that makes you feel any better, which it probably shouldn't.
2: Uh, (laughs) No, not really. I mean, that's a that's like a football manager region name (laughs) solely March.
1: The, the point being that, you know, we're not, we're not being undone on these plays by, you know, outstanding service or, you know, exceptionally talented strikers. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's Lewis Duncan, Callum Patterson and Joe Rawls and, and Sully March. It's just got to get cleaned up. I, I don't care how, I don't care if it's, uh, zonal. I don't care if it's individual. You cannot with the amount of talent that we have, make those kind of mistakes and still get to the places that we want to be.
0: Yeah, I I absolutely I, I have to agree with both of you guys here. I think you guys both made really, really good points. I tend to think of the striker situation just because of, you know, it it's still a question of who is going to be in that um that position for, for the rest of the year and then years moving forward. I think that's an important position we have to look at. Um but something that's been serviceable right now. To get us to where we have been, um, but maybe not, and not maybe not something that we have to really, really uh, dive into just yet. But I think the questions on everybody's mind involve what we have coming up this coming weekend, and it's always a good week leading up to uh, the uh, derby match against our our foes across Stanley Park, um, and we're going to get that as we travel to Anfield this um, this coming Sunday. Uh, a chance for us to take on Liverpool have been very, very good. And Adam, we'll start with you on this. A pretty simple question: uh, Are Liverpool a true title contender?
1: Um, in so far as uh, there are any true title contenders that are not Manchester City, yes, Liverpool is a title contender. Um, they are very clearly, to me anyway, the only team that has any hope. Of keeping pace with Manchester City in the long run. Um, that said, uh, they're gonna need City to cough things up or get hit with the injury bug in ways that are almost unimaginable. Um, for me to really think that, that they'd have a, a shot to, to catch City. They'll, I think they'll keep the pressure on most of the way. Uh, you know, it won't be that. That, you know, City will have locked up the title by mid-March again or anything like that. But at the end of the day, they've got more talent than anybody not named Manchester City. Um But, gosh darn, Manchester City is just really friggin' good. <laughs>
2: yeah, I... I... You know Liverpool are only two points back in the table, but I'm here to tell you that the table is lying to you. They're not a catching City. Uh, if they do, I will. um I'll eat a piece of paper on this podcast. And you guys can listen to to that segment of Bad Radio. But I just, <laughs> this City are so deep and so good that I, I don't think Liverpool is standing a chance. And they're still rolling out oh. guys like Dayon Lovren and Jordan Henderson every weekend.
0: Well, and, and I think – am I wrong that De Bruyne is still injured? Is that, no, is he, that something that he, I'm
2: Yep, he's still on the shelf, and uh, Benjamin Mindy <laughs> is hurt for the next uh, 10 to 12 weeks, and Bernardo Silva is also out at the moment. And the thing about it is, you know, it just doesn't matter.
1: They still, yeah, well, uh, they that's still what went, went to West Ham this weekend and just absolutely – Bludgeoned them to death. It was bloody. And, and, it was carnage. It just wasn't even close. And yes, they city played a midfield that had both Fernandinho and Ilkay Gundogan in it this weekend, and they still just they make
2: it look so easy. It's yeah, and not fair. <laughs> you you, th- you throw Mindy and De Bruyne back into that mix in a couple of weeks, couple of months, or what have you, and then it's like, what are you going to do? Why are we, why are we even playing this game?
0: Yeah, and and if you look at the stats, they've scored 40 goals, I think it is, already this 40. season. The the next best team has 27. They have a 13-goal gap without their best players for the majority of the season, and, and they're just absolutely just yeah, that's walloping I mean, everybody.
2: Kevin De Bruyne is their best player, in my opinion, and even more than the 40 goals that's startling to me is that City have – a goal differential for every point that they've earned in the table. There are 35 goals in the green and they have 35 points. That is simply unheard of. And I know that we need <laughs> to talk about Liverpool, but like uh, that's the reason that I do not think Liverpool are going to win the title.
1: Well, and I think if if you want to even talk a little bit more in depth about Liverpool, it, the, there's a 14, 14 goals difference in the, the goals for column. City scored, uh, 40 goals this season. Liverpool 26, which, you know, 26 through 13 still pretty damn good. Um, they've both only conceded five goals this season. Um, and, and I just, it just does not feel as, uh, as long-term viable to me anyway, that, that Liverpool can continue to, you know, give up a goal every – only a goal every two-and-a-half games. Um Virgil van Dyke is amazing. He is incredible. He is two center backs at once. Um But you're still – one of Joe Gomez or Joel Matip or Dan Lovren is still going to roll out next to him every week. Uh And eventually – That combined with the fact that their midfield is still a little bit of a question mark.
2: Yeah, that Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain injury really hurts. And the other thing, the other thing is, and is that Liverpool stuff to play City twice. Like that's that's reason enough that they're not going to win the title for me.
1: No, no, li- then they, they played earlier in the year and they played the dullest yeah. nil-nil match that I've ever seen and it made no sense, which to yeah. me. Oh yeah, you're right. Which you're to right. me is, is, is indicative kind of Liverpool, City went to Liverpool and Liverpool said, all right, City, we see you. We're not going to try to press the crap out of you because you'll pass through us. And City kind of said, we don't, we're just going to kind of do whatever. Cause as long as we don't give up points to you here, we're going to outpace <laughs> you against the rest of the league and it's not going to be close.
2: Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the, <laughs> uh, that's the long con by Pep Guardiola. I think he's like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah.
1: Which I mean is, you, you don't, you don't want, if you're city and you feel that you're the better team as well, you should, you know, you don't want to give Liverpool a six point swing in a week. Um, it's what they did. They, they managed to do that successfully and kind of just kill out uh, the game at Anfield in October. And I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if they did the same when they met at the Etihad uh, in January. But uh, I, I, to, to get us back to the original original question, I think we, we've kind of all we're kind of all in agreement that Liverpool is very, very easily the second best team in the Premier League right now. But they are very obviously not the best team in the Premier League right now because of how good City is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know. Like you said, we're all in agreement on that one. And and they have performed very well defensively, um, which has always been an issue for them. And, you know, obviously, like we've said also, uh, Van Dyke is, is he's just so good back there. And, and um, that's a, been a really important part of their defense. But moving towards our game this weekend and talking a little bit about our matchup with them, are there any weaknesses that we see in this, uh, this Liverpool team, uh, that Everton could possibly exploit when they take them on next Sunday? Um, is there anything that we could look towards to try and attack? And Chris will go to you on this one first.
2: So I think the obvious, uh, answer to that is Liverpool's midfield because Nabi Keita is hurt, Alex Oxlade Chamberlain is hurt, and they've been kind of, using a, a rotation of James Milner and Jeannie Wijnaldum and, and the, even shoehorning Jordan Shakiri into the midfield for reasons beyond my understanding. And it also should be noted, which may actually work in Everton's favor, just simply because he's not very good, Jordan Henderson got himself suspended for this match, so nobody's going to get their leg broken on Sunday, which is nice. But um
1: <laughs> When Fabinho actually- comes in for him and breaks Gilfie Sigurdsson's leg this week, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna remember to that you said questions. that, and I'm gonna come yeah. for you, just so you know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but I'm a, I, I do want to go a little bit different direction, and I'm gonna pick on uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, who is an excellent player. I have I've really got nothing but good things to say about him in terms of his technical ability and his. Uh, I think he scored a really nice set piece goal against Watford, and he he's really going places, but. He's young and he's, uh, he's pretty slight. And if, if Marco Silva realizes that he should probably start Richarlison on the left hand side, I think Alexander Arnold is susceptible to getting beat one on one. And I would be, uh, I would be temp, eh, tentatively excited to see what um, Richarlison could do up against him in, in terms of beating him on the ball. Uh,
1: Yeah, and I think, uh, I think you've, you've hit on the, the, the big, the, uh, you've started to hit on what I think for me is the big point, which, um, which is their midfield, um, which I am going to go the traditional route here. Um, I, I know that obviously Henderson being out is, um, <laughs> could be addition by subtraction in, in, uh, in some ways, in some, some minds, you know, I think Fabinho will come in uh direct in into that spot at the base of the midfield, and I think that that might ultimately be to their benefit um but i am just I'm just not sold that they necessarily have the guns in the midfield that they'd like to have against a, a an everton midfield which as we as we've talked about with uh with gomez and um and ghana and guiltyfe is is pretty friggin good um and I think that it's interesting. That in Jurgen Klopp, I think, sees the issues that he's got in midfield as as well, because we've seen him do some very peculiar, we'll say, um, <laughs> things uh, in in the last couple of weeks. This this week against Watford, um, he basically rolled out a four two three one with um with Milner and um Henderson as the the deep lying. And then putting Shakiri and Mane out wide, Firmino at the ten and Salah at the striker, which feels like a lot of a lot of work to get a lot of guys into not their natural positions. But even outside of that front four, which I mean really in any configuration is going to be dangerous because those are four very talented attacking players. Uh that midfield two is very much going to be a midfield two if um, if Klopp rolls out a similar configuration with Firmino playing as the 10, because he is not going to really help out in defense. He's not really going to be a guy who's going to recycle possession because he's a striker. I mean, he is who he is. Um, he's very good uh combining going forward, but I think that that's a potential spot, the connection between the quote-unquote 10 in Firmino and a midfield two that is going to be without Nabi Kato, without Alex Oxlade Chamberlain and without Jordan Henderson, which you can have your opinions on Henderson's quality, but at least there's a level of familiarity there. Uh, that's going to be a spot where there's, there's going to be guys who I think are not comfortable with each other and with the positions that they're in. And I think with, with Ghana and Gomish in the game, is a spot where we could nick the ball one or two times in a dangerous position and look to break quick. Um, And if you can get away from Virgil van Dyke on the break and isolate whoever the other center back is, you've got chances to hit this team on the
0: break. Yeah, and I I think, you know, one of the things that's going to be interesting this coming weekend is going to be uh, the pressing. And, you know, it's hard when you have that front three or whatever they put together. Uh, of Sala Mane and Firmino because um you know they they just find channels and if you leave them a little bit of opening you're kind of screwed on the break um and it, it kind of leaves you uh with an interesting situation to see how we implement the pressing style that we have been using a lot during um during this season but that midfield is you know if you got players playing out of position is certainly something that you can exploit with Ghana we we know we've seen him really get after players um causing some trouble um to you know the back line or the midfield uh with players in possession that could be something to look out for um for us to really take advantage of um because as we mentioned i mean there is Virgil van van Dyke in the back there um but other than that, you know nobody's exceptionally out of this world um unbelievable you know we uh, like chris mentioned try alex um uh, Alexander is um, he, he's a good player and he's really becoming a good player. But I think it's still something we can exploit. Um, it'll be interesting to see how we implement that moving um, forward. But talking about how we be how we are successful against Liverpool on Sunday, what does that type of success look like for us? Uh, you know, is a scoreless draw after uh, ninety minutes? Is that you know? Is that something? we consider successful, you know, defending deep, um, like we did against Chelsea, or does the, because it's a derby, does that mean we want to see more than that?
1: Well, I I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, because uh, we've seen Silva in in games against teams with superior talent, uh, adopt a couple of different styles. You know, we saw against Arsenal that, he pressed really high and tried to force them into mistakes against United. It was more of a moderate, you know, moderate uh, pressing style. We weren't, you know, suicide bombing up the field. Um, but, but it certainly wasn't a low block either. And then against Chelsea, we saw it was definitely a low block for 90 minutes. Um, Liverpool historically has struggled against a low block. And personally, t- to me, um, that would probably be my course of action if if I was marco silva so if if we come out and we frustrate them for ninety minutes and we come away with anfield come away from Anfield with a point, um I'm happy uh you know i i would I want nothing more than to beat these guys because it's been a long fucking time uh, and you feel that coming into you know in the buildup to every derby we play. Uh, but at the end of the day, at Anfield, in, in the spot in the table that we are right now, where we think every point is really gonna matter at the end of the season, I think we've got to understand that whatever gets us, uh, a point even in this match is, is good enough for where everything stands right now, even if we want more than that.
2: Right. And, and I think that's all pretty much correct. I mean, if I'm looking at it, honestly, a, a point, no matter how you get it, is going to be ideal. And simply because, we, as we just talked about, Liverpool are are a semi-title contender. And if you take away all of the rivalry history and that kind of thing, this is a team that you're not going to have super high hopes of beating at their home ground. But I think that Marco Silva and Jurgen Klopp are fairly evenly matched in terms of managerial ability and Everton justifiably will have some sort of hope of getting a result based on their form this season. But the talent disparity, and especially in terms of the attacking ability from Liverpool is what it is. But I don't know. I I'm not going to be super mad if, you know, we cu- we come out of Sunday morning and it's 1-1.
0: Yeah, for me it's uh, you know, like you like you guys both said, I think this also plays into our conversation about being in the top 6 and staying there, you know. There's teams, Liverpool like we uh, like we've also said title contender. They're they're up there with the best of them. And I think in situations like this you have to be you know, accept the points you can get. So if we can go to Anfield, get a point out of there, that's one more point than no points. You know, that's, that's, we're still gaining points, taking points off Liverpool. Um, and, and, you know, just keep, you know, every time you can get a point against the top team, um, uh, on the road, that's something that I think we should uh, look towards just to keep this train moving and keep staying in sixth and, and getting some sort of result. Rather than getting nothing at all and, you know, getting wiped out, um, you know, against Liverpool and, you know, it, uh, it is frustrating for us. You know, what has it been? I probably been, tw- I think it's been about 20 years since we've beaten Liverpool at Anfield. It's been a long time. Um, and, and all of us would love a win against them, but you know, in some situations, you kind of have to take what you can get and, and just kind of go with it and, and take the points. And move on. And I think this is one of those situations. So I think for me as well, as well, as well as all of us, um, one point would be would be pretty, pretty good. But really quick, guys, um finish things up here. Give me your predictions for uh th- this weekend's game. And Chris, will start with you. <sighs>
2: I'm going to be typically Everton pessimistic. I'm going to say 2-1 to Liverpool. I do think that we make it a lot more interesting than the FA Cup match last season at Anfield where I think we had something like 22, 23% possession. But, uh, I, you know, it, it's, it's Everton's great boogeyman, right? With the getting a result at Anfield and I just don't see a way where we can defensively withhold them for 90 minutes. And I, I think everybody will come out of this match being encouraged, but encouragement does not always equal one or three points.
1: I uh, I, I have a vision. I've had a vision uh, while we've been talking about this, and I, I know what's going to happen. I don't even think. I know. I know what's going to happen. We're going to come out in a low block, We're going to defend them valiantly for 90 minutes and we're going to give up a late corner and Virgil van Dyke's going to get up to it and score a late winner for us to lose one nothing because what (laughs) is, uh, what is fandom but slowly wanting to kill yourself? Wait Um, a second.
2: That already happened. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) That's that
1: that vision that I had. It it wasn't actually a vision at all. I just watched a replay. Um, yeah, I think Liverpool takes it 1-0 on a late one. And I do think that that set piece defending bites us in the end because it almost bit us this week and we barely dodged it. And I'm not seeing enough improvement to think that we can keep that mass of a human, Virgil van Dyke, off the board.
0: Yeah, I, I think, um, I'm with you guys, you know, just a typical Everton pessimism, um, in the sense that you know, I just I feel like we're not going to be able to do enough to get a draw here. Um, I don't know if it's going to be as much of a heartbreaker. Um, I, th- I think we probably get ourselves in a little bit of a situation where we give up one and then definitely give up a second one moments later like we have against a couple of the top top six here. Um, so it'll be interesting. I think we probably lose this game at least, probably get a goal. So 2-1, 3-1, um, which is unfortunate, but, hey, uh, you know, we're like we said we'd be happy with the draw so if we can get that that would be perfect uh we'll see how things play out starby week uh you know despite you know despite liverpool being very good things are looking up for everton and that means good things for us moving forward and uh it's gonna be interesting to see how things play out guys thanks for joining uh me and talking a little bit about it this week um to the listeners out there keep listening keep following us on twitter and we'll catch you guys next week